I want you to turn with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, is where we're going to begin today. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Last week, we looked at the reality of rewards in the Christian life and in the future being a motivation of serving Christ as Christians. We also looked at some of the rewards that the Lord will bestow upon the faithful believer, the believer who lives his life for Christ. Not to be saved, not to stay saved, but because they are saved and they want to live a faithful life. But when will this happen? When will God bestow these rewards and what is that going to be like? Well, the Bible has a name for that. It's an event, actually. And the Bible has a name for that. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ follows the rapture of the church. Now, if you're not sure what the rapture of the church is, do we have something for you today? We have a little booklet we just published. It's called, Will You Be Left Behind? And it is an overview of the rapture and things to come. We are very close to something on the earth that's going to take place called the tribulation period. But before that takes place, the rapture of the church. When God takes all those who have trusted Christ alone as Savior, and he's going to take them out of the world. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to take believers out of the world. We're going to meet them in the air, and we will go back to heaven for seven years And during that seven years on planet Earth, it'll be the worst time, Jesus said, that the world has ever known since the beginning of creation. And there will never be a worse time on the planet. Now, how close are we? We're very close to that. And how do I know that? Well, I cover simply but clearly in this booklet how we know we are close to that tribulation period. The greatest reason of all is Israel being a nation again, May 14th, 1948. So anyways, uh, we do have these in our resource centers. These are $2 a piece, and you can pick one up. If you don't have $2 to your name, you can have one for free, okay? But we do have these, and, and see the ushers afterwards. They can help you with that. But this judgment seat of Christ takes place after the rapture of the church. And this is a powerful motivation. It not only has to do with us receiving rewards, but it has to do with us coupled with that. It has to do with us being accountable. So it has to do with rewards and accountability, okay? Now, contrary to what some think, rewards are not a fleshly motivation to serve the Lord. We spent lots of time on this last week. I hear that sometimes by people who Uh, To be honest with you, most of them aren't really living their lives for Christ. And when you say, you know, you're going to, as a believer, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day and, you know, we can, we'll receive rewards if we've been faithful. And they'll say something like this, oh, you know what, that's a carnal motivation. I'm not interested. I'm more spiritual than that. Well, them saying they're more spiritual, you know, it's like lying politicians. What they say, the opposite is true. Uh, you're not more, if, if you reject the concept of rewards, you're not more spiritual. You're actually carnal because, and I might say, whoa, whoa, wow, that's powerful. I'll say it again. You're not spiritual. You're actually carnal. The reason I say that is because you either don't know what the word of God says or you're rejecting what the word of God says. We spent all last week talking about why rewards are something that are good. It's one of many motivations. But Jesus, God himself, 
is the one who came up with the concept of rewards. Man didn't invent it. God did. Well, if God invented it, folks, it can't be carnal. He's only spiritual, right? He's only good. And so it's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it's one of many motivations in the Christian life as we have seen during this series. So the Lord himself has instituted it, therefore it cannot be fleshly. Our rewards, now understand this, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, you're going to live forever with God. No matter what you do, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your payment for sin, you are going to live forever with God. And I'll say more about it in just a minute. But let me, let me say this. Rewards are an extra blessing on top of having eternal life. In other words, you're not just going to make it to heaven but if you've, as a believer, have not only gotten saved, but you, you are living your life for Christ, God has extra blessings in store, dependent on how faithful you were as a believer. And we talked about some of the rewards last week. The works of the believer are the issue. Now, you might say, well, I've had people ask me this. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought there wasn't any judgment to the one who's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, you haven't studied it well enough and thorough enough to understand how this fits together. While it is true that there's no condemnation to the one who's in Christ, it is not true that there is no judgment for the one in Christ. The works of the believer, in other words, what we've done since we got saved, that is what is going to come under scrutiny and judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Not going to be punished at the judgment seat of Christ or beat at the judgment seat of Christ, but our works will be judged. What we did since we were saved, the life we have lived since we were saved, that is the issue. So let's, let's go through this today, okay? Number one, what is the judgment seat of Christ about? It is a judgment of the works and life of the believer in Christ. If you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you have trusted Christ the Savior because it takes place in heaven. It's only for believers. It is not to determine eternal destiny, but it determines reward or loss of reward. It takes place, as I've mentioned, in heaven. Remember, remember this, folks. All of our sin was taken care of at the cross. Jesus suffered the punishment for our sin that we deserve to suffer for. He suffered it, and he paid the price on the cross. When he died, he said, it is finished. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your only hope for heaven, God gives you that moment, everlasting life, and everlasting life means exactly what it says. There's no fine print to take that away. Everlasting means everlasting. It's, made, it's a compound word made up of two words, everlasting. In other words, it lasts ever or forever. Everlasting life. Now, I had you turn to John chapter 5, and it says in verse 24, Jesus is speaking here. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, hath means possesses right now, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed or has passed from death unto life. 
He has saved us and given us new life in Christ. And when you trust Christ as Savior, you have everlasting life and you will not come into condemnation. Now that is a promise from God himself. Once you've trusted Christ, you will never come into condemnation, but you have passed from death unto life. I've heard people say over the years, well, you have to believe in John 3.16. It's it's present tense. You have to keep believing, keep believing, keep believing. No, friend, you don't. If I have everlasting life, I have everlasting life. Jesus said, if I trust in Christ as my Savior, I will not come into condemnation, but I have passed from death unto life. Where it says, is passed from death unto life. That is what we call a perfect tense, all right? And that means it was something accomplished that goes on and never changes in the future. It is a constant. Once it happens, it is a constant forever. And this passing from death unto life is a constant, okay? It's like here I am as a sinner. I understand Jesus died for me, paid for all my sins on the cross. I understand I can't earn my way to heaven by what I do. My good works will not save me. The way I live will not save me. Faithfulness will not save me. Good intention will not save me. Reformation will not save me. Baptism will not save me. I understand I'm lost and I cannot save myself, but I understand what Jesus Christ has done for me. When he died on the cross, he paid for all my sins and he came back from the dead three days later and I trust in him to save me instead of myself. And when I trust in him, it's like I walk through a door. I pass from death unto life. And folks, once you're in, listen, you can't get out. You are secure in the hand of Jesus Christ. You can't be lost once you're saved. If you can lose your salvation, the cross work of Christ was worthless. If one day you can lose your salvation, then what Jesus did on the cross didn't accomplish really anything. No, once you're saved, you're saved forever. But once you trust Christ, God has saved us, the Bible says, and he's given us a new life in Christ, and he's given us a new life to live. And he wants us as believers to live a godly life, a life that does have good works in it that are defined by the word of God. Every believer is accountable to God for how he or she lives in response to the salvation that God has freely given us. But you are accountable for how you live once you've trusted Christ as Savior. Now understand this, okay? It isn't an issue of being accountable to me. It's an issue of being accountable to God. We can make excuses with each other, but when we stand at the judgment seat, there will be no excuses, as we're going to see as we look at the Scriptures. So turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Over the last few years, we've been battling... Some people on this issue, people who listen to our messages on the internet and stuff, and they say we're legalists and this and that, we're backloading the gospel or front-loading the gospel, or whether they can't make up their mind whether they're front-loading or back-loading, which is okay. You just stay confused if you want. But uh, the scriptures are clear that, see, getting saved and being in Christ, that's our position in Christ. The scriptures are clear that that is something that can never change that's locked in. But that is supposed to have an effect on how we live our lives. And we live our lives by faith in the Lord and obedience to his word. That's how we are to live. And that's what we as his children will be accountable for. 
from how we live once we got saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, wherefore we labor. Hmm. Labor. Now that's an interesting word. The idea is you're working, okay? There's, there's effort involved in that. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The word accepted means well-pleasing, well-pleasing. We labor so that one day we will be well-pleasing to the Lord. This has to do with our accountability. Notice verse 10, for because, this is linked, we want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because there's a day coming when we will stand before him and give an account for how we live once we are saved. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one, notice it's individual, every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us will stand as believers at the judgment seat of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Now remember, these are believers, but they weren't living like believers. And he says, you're carnal, you're fleshly. It's not good, not good. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, it says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and, now catch the language, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are, as believers, individually accountable to God for how we live as believers. So we see, first, we've defined what the judgment seat of Christ is about, but secondly, you notice that it is personal. It is personal, verse 8. His own reward, his own labor. Not everyone will receive the same. Not everyone will receive the same. Notice, every man. It says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, you can turn there if you want, but I'll just quote it to you. It says, but why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, there's that individual issue again, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You notice in verse 11, it says, every tongue shall confess to God. This has the idea, folks, it's not just mentally agreeing with God here. This has the idea that you could say it literally means to confess out. It means to express. The word confess is usually homologeo. This is ex homologeo. It means to express it out. In other words, it has to do with a verbal account. To express our agreement. It is not only to agree with God about our works, but to verbally express that. We are going to give an account, a verbal answer to God for how we have lived our lives as believers since we got saved. Let's move on. Number three, it is based on our faithfulness and our motives. It is based on our faithfulness and our motives. Now that's an interesting one. Because you see, folks, there are Christians, they live faithful lives. But here's the question. Now, it's not up to me to figure out why a believer does what they do. Here's the question. Why are they living a faithful life? Are they living it with a pure motive 
for with the right motive. Are they doing it to bring glory to God? Are they doing it because they love the Lord? Are they doing it so that Christ will be glorified? Or are they doing it so that people look at them and say, whoa, I'm impressed with you. Or wow, I wish I was like you. Are they doing it for self-glorification or are they doing it to glorify God? That has to do with motive. And you know what? None of us can judge one another's motives. You're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, leads us to our third point again. It is based on our faithfulness and motives. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 3 through 5. It says, but with Paul's talking, he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Now, let me just stop there. If you read the Corinthian letters, you will find. Now, here is this church that is a disaster, disaster of a church. There are many, many things, okay, between 10 and 20 things wrong with this church. And the Corinthian letters address those things. These people were a mess. Do you know one of the things they were doing? And by the way, carnal Christians are famous for this. Carnal Christians are great critics to those who are living their lives for Christ, If you as a believer are living your life for Jesus Christ and you get around a carnal Christian, that person will feel guilty around you. Your faithfulness will be a conviction to them and they are going to attack you because they figure if I can blow your candle out, the little thing I have will shine brighter. Folks, you're going to give an account. We're all going to give an account to God on this issue. No, listen. It is based on our faithfulness and motives. Here's Paul. And by the way, here's what I was getting at. They were critical of the Apostle Paul. They were criticizing the Apostle Paul. They were insulting the Apostle Paul. Not only that, but in a major way, they were judging the motives of the Apostle Paul. He's just doing it to exalt himself. He's doing it to get money. He's doing it for this reason, for that reason. That's why he's serving. Well, look what he says. It's a very, he says, look guys, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yeah, I I don't even judge myself for I know nothing of myself. Now that doesn't mean he did not judge himself sometimes as far as, you know, making sure that if he sinned, he confessed the sin to God and so forth. It's not talking about that. Read the context, read the context. He's talking about motives and why he did what he did. He says, sometimes I even get confused with myself on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Look at it. For I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, here you go, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest, he will expose the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise. Of God. God will not only make manifest what we've done, but he will expose why we did it. So part of us getting reward is why we did what we did. Did we do it so that people come up to us and say, oh, you're awesome. Is that what drives us? If that's what's drives us, there'll be no reward for that. He's concerned about pure Motives. Clearly, there is a sobering accountability in the future that we as believers must face. So don't ever catch yourself saying this about another believer. 
Boy, oh boy, I can't wait to see what happens to them at the judgment seat of Christ. You've got your own self to be concerned with, just like I do. And by the way, folks, can I tell you this? And this is kind of a personal issue. This has brought great comfort to me in my Christian life over the years when either I've been judged wrongly or mistreated by somebody, or I see somebody who is bad-mouthing our ministry or doing this or doing that. You know what? I just sit back. I take a sigh of relief and say, you know what? They'll give an account for themselves. I'm not concerned about it. And the Lord will deal with them perfectly, perfectly, because I could be wrong on either side of why somebody does what they do. That's, listen, I got better things to do with my time. At least I should, and so should you. We're going to give an account of ourselves. No one else. By the way, those of you who are married, that includes you. You're not going to give an account for your spouse, whether your husband or wife. Let's move on. Number four, we, now this is a blessing. This is such a blessing. We labor together with God himself. So if you at, at this point, you know, you're a believer and you're hearing this message and you're saying, oh, you know, I'm really troubled about the future and all that. Because I, I, I try, but I fail. I try, but I fail. Friend, here's a key issue in the Christian life. We labor together with God himself. It is not our power. It is not our strength. He provides what we need. We trust in him and then obey. We sing the great hymn, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. See, it isn't, oh, you know, I've got to, I've got to, it's all about me, it's all about me, and it's all based on me, and, and what can I do? And oh, I'm going to really try hard. I'm going to white knuckle it through life. No, you will fail. We all do. Paul said in Romans 7, who shall deliver me? Because he was battling. His two natures are battling. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same one who saves us from hell is the same one who empowers us to serve. He provides the strength. He provides the ability. It's not about me. It's about him. He's asking, <laughs> this is amazing. He's asking me. It's like the Lord is saying, hey, I've got work for you to do. Oh, Lord, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I understand your weakness. But listen, we're going to partner together. We're going to get in this yoke together. I will provide the strength, the wisdom, the skill, the answers, all of that. You just stick with me. Let's go through this. All I'm asking you to do is to trust me and do what I tell you to do. I'll take care of the rest. Isn't that comforting? So when I get to heaven, he gets all the glory because if he had not gone through it with me and brought the success, there would be no success. We labor together with God himself. The Lord provides for us all we need to be successful. We walk by faith, trusting in him as we obey. We use the term around here, you live the Christian life by trusting obedience. Trusting obedience. And this is key to working in the Christian life. It is God who supplies all we need to successfully labor for him. It is an act of his grace. The fact that he would do that is an act of his grace. Now here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you notice what he says, and here's where I get this fourth point. We labor together with God himself. Verse 9, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, Ye are God's building. Now look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, 
which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You notice, according to the grace of God, he laid the foundation. We labor according to the grace of God. Folks, here's how this works. God looks at us. When we look at him and we trust in him, the grace of God pours out on us everything we need to accomplish the work of God. It's all by his grace, his unmerited kindness, his undeserved mercy. Isn't that amazing? We labor together with God by the grace of God. We labor together with God by the grace of God. You're in 1 Corinthians. Hold your place here in chapter 3. Go with me to chapter 15. He says a little bit more about this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see this because, you know, don't you just love the reality that you find on the pages of Scripture? You find Paul bearing his own soul, opening himself up, and talking about the inner workings on on what goes through us as believers and how God provides what we need for it. It is an amazing thing. I'm just intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Ooh, Paul, you think, boy, isn't that kind of arrogance there? Paul, you better check it out. Watch out for your arrogance. No, 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 watch it. Watch. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You see, it begins with grace. It ends with grace. And in between is labor, but it's labor by the grace of God. That's not legalism. That's Bible. That's Christian living according to the Bible. Folks, let's be honest with Scripture. So a believer who's not living his life for Christ, he's not living by grace. That's not grace. That's disgrace. God provides all we need to live for him. And we need to trust him. And he provides it. And therefore, we can be fruitful and we can be used of God. If we are laboring with the Lord, then there is no reason for not being fruitful and productive in this life. And these are the issues that are going to be, we are accountable for when we stand before God at the judgment seat. Number five, I've already touched on it very briefly. Back to chapter three here. The believer's works will be judged. The believer's works will be judged. First Corinthians 3, 12, it says, now if any man build upon this foundation, which is Christ, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work, catch that, every man's work shall be made manifest, made known. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now you notice in verse 12, it says gold, silver, precious stones. These are godly works done with the right motives. These are the things that are valuable in God's eyes. These endure when scrutinized by the fire of God's judgment. Wood, hay, stubble. These are worthless works done that get burned up when examined under the fire of God's judgment. These are worthless things that we have done. 
So the works, the believer's works will be judged. The believer himself, remember, this is not an issue of are you going to, you know, like uh, spend some time in some sort of a Protestant purgatory or something because, you know, you were bad. So God's going to wail on No, no, no. All the wailing took place on Calvary. I know there's a passage in Luke that people bring up from time to time. I think that's talking about the unbelievers, unbelieving teachers in Israel. It's not talking about the church. Remember, the church was not the issue in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and very little in John. But anyways, that's getting off track. Let's move on. Number six, what are the results at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, first, there will be reward for quality works. Verse 14, if any man's work shall abide. By the way, you notice it's work, not just your intent, not just what you talked about. No, our work. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, this reward, as we saw last time, can consist of many things. It can consist of crowns. We talked about that last week. It could be special placement in the future kingdom of Christ. We talked about that. There's also special privileges and so forth that are given to the faithful believer. So there will be reward for quality works. Also, there will be praise and honor. Praise and honor. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 12 and verse 26. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me, that where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Why would God honor us? Because we're living a life that honors him. This is how it works. If you don't live an honorable life for Christ, then God will not honor you. That doesn't mean you don't go to heaven. The judgment seat, remember, it takes place in heaven. So let's keep that clear. You might say this is the, uh, we will be, have praise and honor. This is the, some people call it the WD award. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. That's an issue of reward to the believer who's been faithful. I want you to see this. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter six. This is at this point, I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful reminder for us to see this concept in Hebrews 6. You might say, oh, you know what? I really haven't accomplished much in my life. I feel, I feel like a worthless person. I mean, I don't sing. I don't speak. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm really not, really not good at a lot of things. Friend, our God is a God of justice and truth. Yes, he is. But he's also a God of love and grace. And God, our God, is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And I want you to understand something. You may not be out front, so to speak, but I want you to understand how the ways of God work. And it says in Hebrews 6, verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Do you labor in love for him? You might say, define that. I will in just a minute. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The word minister means to serve. You've served the saints and you continue to serve the saints. Listen to me. 
the least little thing that you did for Christ are going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. The least little thing. Can I give you some examples? Anyone who even bows their head at a meal and sincerely prays to God in thanksgiving for that food is going to be rewarded for it. Why? It's an act of obedience and it is done with the right motive. Do you see how simple this is? Do you see how rich God's reward system is going to be? Anybody who works in the nursery and does it with the right attitude, I'd say, I don't know about that job. It stinks. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) We raised three girls. I get it. But let me tell you this. If you do that job that no one sees and you do it with the right attitude, you're going to get rewarded for it one day. Think of that. How about this one? How about you simply do, let's say there's, okay, what's your job at VBS? Well, my job at VBS is emptying the trash. When the trash cans are full, I take the plastic bags and I take them out to the dumpster. I don't have a very important job at VBS. Let me ask you this. Are you doing it with the right attitude? Are you doing it for the glory of God? Did you know you are going to be rewarded by God at the judgment seat of Christ by taking out the trash at VBS? Do you get it? It's not just the preachers. It's not just the singers or the musicians. It's everybody who does what they do for the glory of God. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love that you have done. We got people who do so many things behind the scenes in our church. Listen, everybody, all of us, if you're doing it for the glory of God, you're going to get rewarded for it one day. Everyone who even, you know, gives the kids, the kids who saved, and they don't understand everything in life, but they get their pennies, you know, the, the, the penny offering that we had at VBS. They get their pennies or they get their dimes and the offering plate comes by on Sunday and they're so excited to put something in there. I'm not going to judge why they're doing it. But you know what? I think more times kids are giving with the right motive than the adults are. Reward! And can I tell you this? As life goes on, we forget a lot, don't we? We forget a lot, but there's not one track that we gave out hoping that someone would read it and get saved that we're not going to get rewarded for. Think about it. Think about it. And as we talked about last week, one of the crowns are those we've led to Christ. And there are people who are going to come up to you. If you've been faithful in giving out tracts and using them and witnessing, there are people that you may have never met who are going to come up to you, run up to you in heaven, and they're going to say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for leaving that tract. I read it and I got saved. Folks, it's happening all the time. The least little thing you did for Christ will be rewarded that day. Prayer. Oh, prayer. Helpful text messages you send to somebody else to be a blessing. A meal to somebody who is sick or hurting or recovering. A card you send, a note, an email. Helping, listen, helping set up and tear down for church events. Now, if you're doing it, why do I have to do this? I feel pressured to do this, all this. You know what? That's your reward right there. You had the privilege of being able to be a part of a team that's setting up and tearing down. But you won't be rewarded for that at the judgment seat. 
unless you did it with the right attitude. But even that, right attitude. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul says, for whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, right motive, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. There's the inheriting of eternal life, that's a home in heaven, and then there is reward inheritance on top of that. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But folks, let's go on here very quickly. There will also be at the judgment seat, there will also be the suffering of loss. These are the worthless works that will be burned up. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. If once you got saved, you lived a totally rotten life, which is almost impossible, but maybe you're that bad. I don't know. But if you did, you still go to heaven because it takes place in heaven and you're saved. Why? Because God saved you and he only does it one way and that's forever. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. The word suffer loss, to experience the loss of something with implications of undergoing hardship, okay? In other words, it's, it's, you're suffering loss. There's a sadness in that. I think there'll be tears. Also, there'll be regret, 1 John 2, 28. Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming, not be ashamed Am I, as a believer, living a life that I'm going to be ashamed of if Jesus was to come back today? Jesus said if we are ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. And that would be for us as believers today, that would be for at the judgment seat. But he himself shall be saved. Notice that even if a believer never did anything right from the day he trusted Christ, he would still be saved. Why? Because salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. Not of works. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're going to close with these two verses on the platform. Perhaps you're here, and I didn't want this message to be confusing. I've tried to be clear separating the two, salvation and service. But if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone to get you to heaven, that's the only way you'll go to heaven. You can't go another way. Good works will not save you. Trying to behave will not save you. Even trying to work for God. You won't get to heaven by what you do. You get to heaven by who you believe in. Okay? Jesus Christ did all the work. Let me explain it to you this way. This hand representing you and me. Let's let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. We know that. We all do things wrong. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, sin separates us from him. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. It is a barrier. Has to be taken care. Sin has to be gone for God to let you into heaven. But here we are as sinners. God says we have violated his laws, his commandments, and we're guilty of that. The wages of sin, uh, price has to be paid, and it's death. Not only physical death, but separation from God for all eternity. Now, God doesn't want that for any of us. Religion says you get rid of your sin by good deeds, but you don't. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Nothing you can do. 
It is the gift of God. Salvation's a gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.9. So if the best I can do will not take away my sin, what am I going to do? If I die in this condition, I'll be lost forever. No second chances. Well, God says, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell. So what he did was he entered the human race, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, this hand representing him. You notice he's sinless. And when he went to the cross, friend, all the entire lifetime of your sin and mine, he took it upon himself and he died as our substitute. He died in our place. When he was hanging on the cross, God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price so we don't have to. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He's paid for all your sin. All he's asking you to do is to believe in him that he paid for all your sin. When you trust in him that he did that for you, that payment is good on your behalf. The moment you believe all your sin is gone, he gives you everlasting life. Now listen, if all your sin is gone, what's going to keep you out of heaven? There's nothing to keep you out. If all your sin is gone, then what's going to send you to hell? You have a death payment. It was his for you. That was put to your account. Nothing to keep you out of heaven, nothing to send you to hell. All he's asking you to do is to believe he did it for you. So if you've never trusted in Christ, would you do it today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.